0: The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at tridentroompodcasthost at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash tridentroompodcast. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. In today's podcast, NPS student Mike Morris sits down and has a drink with Department Program Officer Paul Rasmussen.
1: Now, first of all, (laughs) um, your last name, Rasmussen, right? Rasmussen. Everyone's like, Rasmussen, Rasmussen. I was like, I grew up with family, friends, Rasmussens. So I feel like I'm saying it right. Yes? Hey, you, you've got to talk too here.
2: <laughs> so, so yeah, that's been a, a source of interest throughout my entire life. Um, I've had all kinds of nicknames you could imagine. raspy, Raspberry, Raz. My dad, when he was a kid, was Moose for Rasmussen. Um, but yeah, the correct pronunciation is Rasmussen.
1: Rasmussen. Oh, my God. Nobody says it right. And the spelling
2: is also interesting. I've had about 25 different spellings of the name, and I have name tags actually still from various commands I've been at with the the spelling wrong. And um, for the most part, um, it's usually they put two S's in the front instead of two S's in the back. But over the years, you know, I think my dad taught me this as well. He told me, you know, there's a word that that rhymes with bass that that, that you can say there's no in Rasmussen. <laughs> <laughs> and then people usually get it. <laughs> so, Rasmussen.
1: Okay. And with the with the with the accent on the second syllable.
2: Rasmussen, yeah.
1: The Rasmussen. Yeah, Muss. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we cleared that up and I hope people listen to that part and it makes it in <laughs> because uh you know, welcome to the Trident room. Uh uh Commander Paul Rasmussen Rasmussen. <laughs> see, I'm a, see. I just naturally carry it over
0: from childhood.
1: No, nope, thanks. Glad to be here. Um. <laughs> so, a little note for uh, people who uh, may be listening in today. Uh, you and I have met up and uh, we're recording this in my backyard on the patio in the open air and some sunshine with a little bit of shade, uh, trying to respect uh, some of our social distancing rules. Um, so that being the case, you know, we're we've cracked open a couple of uh, loggers. And we're going to enjoy those and have a conversation. And so there might be other sounds and noises. I've got some (laughs) chirpy birds. The squirrels like to fight in my backyard every now and then, especially on Fridays. Some of my neighbors are having uh, yard work done, so we might hear blowers going on. It's all good. We won't let that bother us. Uh, We'll let the conversation shine through, I think, and uh, we'll have a good time. So Rasmussen. I'll just call you PR. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding, sir. (laughs) No, that's a tough one. I
2: I struggle with that one, actually, is what do I call myself with students? Because for the most part, you know, my students are all successful, um, you know, mature, responsible, you know, proven leaders. Um, And as much as I want to have them call me Paul or my call sign, there is somewhat of a level of, um, you know, kind of, superior subordinate relationship that still exists and so so you've probably i think you've picked up on it what i usually sign off on my emails is i, I figured out the way to do it is, is to put my initials right and so i put my initials on most emails because i don't want to put commander rasmussen but i also don't want to put pablo or paul
1: you know so it's um yeah it's a, that's a tough one the student it, it superior can be a relationship because um, well i mean your background is aviation as well and and uh, so you have call signs and so when i sign my emails i sign off as mo mo and that's a call sign of mine, and just like, it, but it just happens to fall in with a lot of uh, the other services and communities that might sign off with initials. And um, so we consider like Mo, to call me Mo, is kind of a professional call sign that can be used uh, kind of throughout the ranks, you know, on a professional relationship basis. <laughs> and, but that is tricky for you, especially being here, you know, your program officer, and I kind of feel this might be the same for the other service representatives, is most of your students are, you know, probably FGOs and in a normal working relationship. If you're not their uh, commander, it probably would be a first-name basis. No,
2: you know, that's exactly right. It's, um, you know, especially, again, going back to the, the, the clientele that I supervise, you know, most people are, you know, just as, if not as successful as I've been. And, you know, and I, I want to treat them like peers. Um, but, but at the same time, there are times when it's important to make sure that there's some sort of a boundaries, um, you know, with, within the levels. But 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 I also try as hard as I can, and I think it goes to my leadership style as well, is to not, not try and take my relationship and push things on the students, but rather let them know that I'm there for them. Because in reality, at the end of the day, you know, for me, their success is what really matters. And um, it's
1: not... You know, it, it's not about me. I've certainly sensed that uh, from MPS <laughs> in general. Is that um, you know, while there might be a professional uh, superior subordinate relationship, that it's almost a hundred percent about support. <clears throat> it's just all you know. It's, it's it's about enabling the student body to do their work here, and that's I think <clears throat> that's been the mission. And I, my viewpoint as a student, even distance learning so far, I've seen that be successful uh, as a as a as a guide as a guidepost.
2: Yeah, for the for, no for the average student, they need an initial vector. There's no question about it. You know, when they when they walk here, when they arrive here to NPS, they feel like, you know, the the character and stranger in a strange land, you know, especially from the other services. You know, this is the Navy. I'm not quite sure. I didn't know what to expect from the Navy and so so, you know, what are the traditions, what are the the courtesies, what are the the expectations and so, you know, for, for if, if the leadership, you know, including me can 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 just give them the initial vector and the guidance in the right direction you know that's about all they need and um and you know and, and they they tend to thrive um you know and you and the sad part is you know after i initially meet the students at the beginning because they're so autonomous and successful that that i really don't get to meet
1: the students as much as i wish i could sure the opposite i think case with me is whereas i <laughs> i came in with the initial struggle at the start of uh, shelter in place and covid <clears throat> And now granted at the start, I was all chippy and cheery and helping you test out Microsoft Teams and whatnot. Uh, But uh, then, you know, uh, things happen, conditions keep changing. You know, for the first two weeks of shelter in place, it felt like we were camping. And then after that, it was, all right, what am I doing here? (laughs) Like, what is is going on?
2: No, I I agree with what you just said, because and it was really surprising to be honest, Mo, when that happened, Um, in some respects, it was like the canary in the coal mine. You know, meaning that we did a lot of work initially to um, change the direction of the aircraft carrier, you know, from an in-residence type learning environment to on a dime, you know, turning the ship and going to full DL. Um, And like you said, I think there was some novelty at first, but after a couple weeks, the novelty wore off very quickly. And I saw it myself at my house with my kids um because if you know again at first they were very excited we were doing various home projects you know we had certain schedules and you know the kids were cooking the kids got some tv time during the day and so on and so forth but after a couple of weeks it became very monotonous and then the reality started setting in that this isn't going to end anytime soon and you know these four walls that we have here are what we're going to be staring at for a long time um and, you know, and when you reached out to me And kind of, you know, I think if I I can remember correctly, that was one of your comments is it feels like the walls are caving in on me and I'm going crazy. Um, You know, can I just get out of this place and, you know, get some sort of (laughs) give me some hope. I need something, (laughs) some
1: sort of human interaction beyond these four. walls. that's exactly right. And so but it opened my eyes that, you know, there's probably other people
2: out there who are who are struggling in the same way. And so you know at the exact same time you were reaching out like I was noticing it in my kids and I started kind of reshifting my focus on and my expectations as far as you know what is what is the new right and from you know for my kids you know that meant you know kind of you know letting them sleep in maybe a little more letting them stay up maybe a little later and having extra privileges just so that would motivate them to do the you know the regular stuff during the day and then and, and with students you know I mean, you know, I'd love to talk about, you know, various initiatives that that you've helped me with and that other students have helped me kind of create to be able to to connect with other human beings.
1: Well, you can see part of what I've done is I've kind of initiated desert rules for me, um, which is dress flamboyantly as possible at (laughs) all given times, uh, shave every three days or so and, uh, you know, have a beer when I can or, you know, pour myself a bourbon, what have you. Uh, just something to keep the sanity uh, and because I feel, you know, a little bit of isolation away from the rest of the world maybe kind of like a deployment and so when I started treating it a little bit more like that and sort of using my deployment routine, if you will, uh, some of those things that I would do on deployment have helped me um, kind of bring my mental state back around to like, okay this can be a norm that is survivable for quite some time if I if I treat it like that
2: no yeah i think i think i've used those similar words um you know you know you you go on a six-month deployment and um, you have various expectations you know it's going to be you know you know you know it's going to be a long haul you know you start establishing routines but but you know that same mentality though you know like what was his name um alan alda on mash you know you got to find out ways at the same time to again bring back that humanity and 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 keep those connections up and, and remind each other that at the end of the day you know, we we still all need some sort of connection, and we need some hope, and we need some you know laughter in our lives, right? Um, Hawkeye, that was his name, Hawkeye. Right.
1: Yeah. Um. So, what are some of the what are? Uh, I I know we've just like jumped straight into your time here at MPS, but what are some of those uh, initiatives that you you've seen students come up with uh, to reconnect a little bit? Um.
2: So it's really kind of just getting started, um, because you know the the sad part about the current situation we're in um, is that, you know, especially back in April of 2020, we didn't really know what
1: was gonna you know hurt us, right? Right. For the first time, I think uh, the assumption was no, you can't. Instead That's of, right. Yes, you can. That's right. And I remember
2: somebody telling me, well, Paul, you better make sure you wear gloves when you go to the gas station because if you touch that. You know, that nozzle that somebody else just touched, you might get sick and die. And it's like,
1: that's right. I, I, when I fill up my (laughs) gas tank, I'm going like, I might die. What am I going to do? What is this?
2: And so I think we've gotten over that, which is good. um, But, but, you know, but, but it took a little while and having some conversations with the Dean of Students, with the base CO and with, with other people out there, you know, let's stop talking about what we can't do and let's find. You know, things that we can do. Um, And so some of those initiatives that, again, came directly out of conversation with students um, were were a have conversations, you know, and so so in the you know, in my department, we started having, you know, not every week, but kind of every other week, just having an open sessions on online and invite students who are free who want to come. And, talk. and I think, you know, most of the sessions I got it probably 25% of the students or so, not everybody, but, but, you know, they, you know, you let, you let somebody talk and, and it's amazing what you hear because, you know, so many times the, you know, leaders, you know, in general get credit for, 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 for making things happen. But I tell you what, i mean, you know, behind every leader is a good idea. And, um, you know, that idea, you know, I'd say nine times out of 10 doesn't come from the leader itself. It's just, you know, from, from talking to his people. And one of the examples was I had a student who said he had three kids at home and he was getting ready to talk, take comprehensive exams. And he was very scared, you know, that he was going to spend a, you know, a year here at MPS only to fail his comprehensive exams. Cause he had his kids bugging him while he was taking the test. So we talked about it and we, 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 started um, asking some questions and next thing, you know, we, we, we turned our empty classrooms, you know, in the on campus. And we turned them into study spaces, you know, individual study spaces that a student could check out, um, come to the campus, you know, clean the space up um, and then have a, a quiet space where he could have un- he or she could have uninterrupted time to 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 get through, you know, through the day. And then that proved um, an amazing success. That initial effort. I think we had nine students take their comprehensive exams in classrooms um, over a six day period. And, and, the, and the good news was every single one of them passed. Whereas wow. you know, that may or may not have happened um, in another world. Um, and then since then, you know, we took that good idea and we've completely expanded it to, to now doing it every day throughout the quarter. Students can sign up and just, you know, kind of get to a, a quiet, you know, place. And, and again, back to our story with you, Mo, what surprised me the most is it's not just the people who have kids at home who are using it. It's a lot of our single students who just need something different than their house. Um, And they've
1: found that when they do that, it's been a game changer. Part of my compartmentalization (laughs) is that work is at work and home is at home a lot of times. And that's, I'm ashamed to say that I haven't taken advantage of that study space effort yet, um, only because I think I've sort of figured out my routine here a little bit better uh, to create a productive environment um, in in changing the environment that I have and modifying it. Uh, Is that uh, study space effort, like it's being run through NSA, if I'm not mistaken, is it open to other students in other schools as well? So as we speak, we are
2: trying to um, so it's not just NSA. What, what I was able to do was to you know use a little bit of creative thinking, um, you know, and maybe you can call it innovation. I don't know, but, but uh, what gave me the idea was there was calls for, for, for students who wanted to, or needed to use the laboratories on campus, and they created policies for how students can work on laboratories and do research. And I'm like, well, if students can go into laboratories on campus and do research, why can't they go into empty classrooms? And so the, the, the title of the initiative is kind of treating classrooms as laboratories. And so, um, so it wasn't necessarily, a, you know, an NSA effort, but the classrooms as laboratories has been expanded to other departments. And I, I would I would expect probably by the end of this quarter, every single um, department on campus will be using their classrooms to let students study in.
1: Okay, and and, and each department will probably be managing it in their own. You no, know, each
2: department manages it, and um, sadly, there's a lieutenant who works for the dean of students who has to track every single person who goes into every single room. But um, you know, he's a highly intelligent, high-speed lieutenant in the navy who can who can do anything, and um, I think he's got a good handle on the process. Good,
1: <laughs> we need people like that. <laughs> I was a little concerned with. Um, I, I was I w- uh, the uh, lieutenant who is helping you now um, while sh- uh, she's still here. Um, she's also a TA for a professor in a couple of classes. I thought she was potentially also still a student. And I was like, what are you taking on to your plate right now? I was so concerned. But she's already graduated. Uh, I learned. And I was like, well, I just I just felt so bad that someone would take on uh, so much while trying to be a student.
2: Well, but but at the same time um, I've seen students like that there's been some students who've graduated who I, re, I, I you know when they graduated I'm like you were a student you were doing so much other stuff that I don't know how you found time to study and Jessica you know Kawamura who is you're talking about she's one of those those you know those, those professional capable um, you know high performing officers that you give you you, you give them a task
1: and there's no limit to what they can do you might relate to this then uh, I'm one of those people that the more you put on my plate, I think the better I manage all those taskings because it forces me to organize. If I'm left, unfortunately in this environment, if I'm left at my own free will, I often don't manage my own schedule very well. I feel like I need a secretary often, but if I have so much that it feels overwhelming, I go, ooh, I need to organize my days and I have so much going on. I want to make sure I get it done and then I'll get everything done because I actually manage myself instead of asking somebody else to do it
2: (laughs) yeah no and i think that's where the classrooms come in is it it allows people to kind of compartmentalize and um you know and you're at work you need to get work done where it's just it's this is something we're gonna have to face as a society frankly because you know teleworking is here to stay there's no that's not we're never going back and um you know how do you manage your workload with your home life and and do a balance and i think there's going to be some people who are going to be better than that at others what would you have done if you didn't join the Navy? Whew. That is a fantastic question. Um, what I wish I had done if I hadn't joined the Navy was was get a backpack and walk around the world. You know, I think that would be a fun thing to do is to walk around the world on a backpack and just, you know, get to, you know, come and go as you please, learn about how other people live, um, experience other cultures, um, and, and, and not necessarily because, you know, one of the things nowadays that, that that I don't necessarily like about my life is that so often, you know, I make decisions based on a schedule. Sure. And, um, and that, that is very conflict constrictive. And so so I, I almost wish that I had some sort of a lifestyle where I where I didn't have to live on a schedule.
1: So, I mean, if you wanted to if you think the alternate would be, hey, one thing is I want to put on a backpack and ruck the world. Are there other, has the Navy afforded you opportunities to experience, or even in your own personal life, maybe on leave, have you gone and experienced other cultures? What other cultures have you experienced? So what, I have. What, what impressions?
2: So I have. Um, you know, and, I, and again, you, know, again, you, you, you can't plan what, what, how your life's going to end up, but, 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 but there's so many opportunities you get that form who you are. So so as um, after my first operational tour, I actually was able to um, go serve as an exchange officer with the French Navy. And so I got to fly the super attendard off of the Charles de Gaulle aircraft carrier where I was the only American, you know, in my squadron and one of three Americans on the aircraft carrier. You were flying off of their
1: aircraft carrier. I did fly, I didn't know we did that.
2: We we don't do it very much. Okay. You know, you could probably, you know, put your hands up and, and that's how many people have done this in the in the current United States Navy. Um, but but you know, very quickly, I got to get through the stereotypes of the, of the French. You know, and we all know what they are <laughs> as, far, <laughs> as far as the French. But very quickly, I got to realize, you know oh, what, oh, at the end oh, of the day, they're, 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 right, yeah, right. they, are, they are human beings just like we do. And they, 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 they have a passion for life. And, um, and their they're pilots and their officers and enlisted were, were, were just as capable, if not more, than, than
1: ours were. I have a passion for their wine. Is that okay to say? Is that, so there, is so that, that was, or is that a stereotype?
2: Well, so, so, you know, most people probably know the United States Navy since I think prohibition has been dry. Um, and that's our official policy. And um, like at f- sea at sea. Okay. That's right.
1: Um, <laughs> Cause we're not dry right now. That's what I was like.
2: <laughs> but on the French carrier, you know, I was able to go out, fly a mission, come back and land. And um, after a very short debrief, <laughs> we would we would go to the the one of seven I think bars they had on the aircraft carrier, <laughs> and you could either have a nice glass of French wine uh-huh. or. Uh,
1: what was your favorite?
2: So my favorite is um, so if you haven't tried it before, there's two beers that I really enjoy, and they had them both on tap on the Charles de Gaulle. One was <laughs> one on was Suez which is Suez um, Spell that
1: for our listeners. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think it was sixteen.
2: 64 was a French beer. It was a lager, and then there was an also one that was a Belgian beer called Lef. That back when I was drinking it in, in 2002 and three, it was very not very well known. But I think Anheuser Busch got bought out by the company that makes Lef. and so now you can find it pretty much any liquor store. Okay. And no, no, I do not have any financial representation <laughs> in either of those beers. But says Swiss and and Leff are, are two fantastic
1: beverages wow okay so i'm gonna uh kind of shift gears here with you just a little bit what are what are your passions what what has brought you to this point well um so my passions when i grew
2: up i wanted to be a baseball player that was my my passion until until about 12 years old when i realized that that that, i didn't quite have what it takes to become a baseball player why is Um, that well, it's just that that baseball coming at you at 50, 60, 70 miles an hour is, um, you know, says so it gets faster, it gets harder to hit, especially when, <laughs> especially when it's moving. And so I couldn't be um, Tony Gwynn or Pete Rose like I wanted to be back um back when I was a kid. Um, but about that same time though. Um, on just one of the most random coincidences in life there was a moment that happened that I think changed my life Um, and I was riding my bike You know, I grew up in Santee, California I was riding my bike and and a friend of mine who I played baseball with um, saw me and we started hanging out for a little bit and he's like oh, I'm getting so tired of my paper route I want to quit my paper route are you interested in having a paper route? I was 13 at the time, and I had no money in my pocket. I'm like, "Well, how much money do you make?" And he's like, "Well, I get about 150, 200 dollars a month." And you know, my eyes, wow. just, my eyes just started popping wide open. I'm like, "At
1: 12?" Yes, that's a huge amount of yes, money please. for a 12-year-old.
2: And so this was the summer between my eighth and ninth grade year, and um, I started having a paper out. And um, and um, you know, kind of looking back upon, you know, that moment, I think that was one of the, you know, the moments that, that, that really shaped the person that, that that I've become and, and, and some of the things that I believe in and some of the things that, that helped me succeed kind of today. Um, you know, if you think about it, especially kind of in a, in an environment right now where we're in, where, you know, the days tend to blend into one and you're not sure, you know, how you're going to get through each day, you know, I think you just, you just, you just move forward, you know, because, you know, for, for three years, I had a paper out for three years and every single day, for three years, I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning, whether I wanted to or not. Gross. If I was sick, <laughs> if I was sick, if I wasn't feeling good, if it was raining outside, if it was cold, you know, I, you know, I didn't get a choice. You know, you know, just like the mail, the the papers had to be delivered. And um, I think I was also somewhat lucky is that my parents weren't there to help. Um, you know, I had to get on my bicycle you know, again, in the rain, cold, whatever it was.
1: And I, I said, to, hey, this is your paper route. This is my paper yeah. route.
2: Um, and I had to go do it. Um, and so I think, you know, there's, you can extrapolate from that. And there's a lot of skills that apply to both, you know, military service, um, as well as, you know, in times when, when things aren't as good as you want them to be. But um, again, kind of in thinking about it, you know, kind of getting ready for our talk today, I kind of look back on it though, and once you get past the, the poor me type stuff, you know, I kind of realized what a gift that was. And that, that time I had, you know, when I was riding my bicycle out, you know, at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, you know, I had the world to myself. There was nobody out there, no traffic. Everybody else was still sleeping. You oh, know? that's
1: so peaceful. Exactly. And you were experiencing that so young, too. Exactly.
2: You know, and, and, and I got to see the sunrise, you know, while I was doing the paper route. And, um, you know, and and, and then when you get done with it, you know, at six o'clock, six thirty in the morning, you know, you've already, you know, just like Admiral McRaven says, you know, make your bed should be the first thing you do in the morning. So you feel some sort of accomplishment. I had that at at a very young age and and that passion um, of, of getting up and doing something rather than, you know.
1: Oh, how formative that. Wow. Um, I feel that way if I get up and like run a mandatory 5k and then go get <laughs> breakfast I feel great for the rest of the day and yet for some reason I don't like apply that to my personal well-being and life. <laughs> I never I don't make the connection for some reason.
2: Oh, but I'm um, just kind of um you know now now think about it you know I've done 27 years in the military and I've I've done some pretty amazing cool things. Some of the stuff that I remember the most actually were some flights I had in in various places throughout the world, where I just looked around and, 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 and got to see some 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 of the most you know whether it's a sunrise from thirty thousand feet or a sunset from thirty thousand feet, and it kind of was those same types of feeling of of just being able to you know enjoy the moment and, and enjoy the surrounding surroundings out there, um, you know. Exactly, I, I was the mini boss of an aircraft carrier. Um, I want to
1: hear about that because. I don't know what a mini boss does. I'm in the Air Force, so please.
2: Well, so the so the short. So I'll, I'll come back to the, the the moment I was gonna gonna share, but um, but um, the mini boss of an aircraft carrier works with the air boss as his number two and basically runs the flight deck of the aircraft carrier. Um, you have 650 people who serve under you in your department who run the flight deck movement of the planes, the the catapults and
1: arresting gear. Um, could I could well, f- maybe I relate to that exactly then because uh, I'm an airfield uh, operations officer by trade, very similar, just but you're in a m- much more complicated, compact environment, obviously on a Well, case. it is and um, I mean, if I remember correctly, you're not an aviator. No, not an aviator. So, the
2: mini boss and an air boss are kind of, you know, in the job description, you are aviators because the people who work for you, they are experts and professionals and they know how to run the flight deck. Where you really come in the most is in your interactions with the air
1: crew. And we would have, an, have often a supervisor of flying, a, you know, a SOF in the Air Force, who would be doing that and may often be located with the air traffic controllers, for example, in the tower, monitoring the flying mission in support of the operation of the airfield. So yeah. I, I would relate it to that in, in my head. No, that's exactly
2: yeah. right. You um, you know, they had us up there for, you know, when things didn't go right. You know, when things, go, when things go right, I mean, it just happens like clockwork and it's like a ballet. You just get to sit there. That's right, but when things don't go right, you know, you need to kind of put yourself in the shoes of the person flying the plane who's having a problem and try and understand, you know, what they're dealing with and then translate that to the captain of the ship, translate it to the people on the flight deck to be able to help
1: them come down. Then that's exactly what I'm thinking of. Yes. So I'm 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 not that, but I work with people who do that. Okay. <laughs> In the Air Force. Okay, great. But um, um you know,
2: where people really understand what the what the, the mini boss of the air boss is, if you've ever seen the movie Top Gun Right. It, there's like, a couple of very famous scenes there, where, where Tom Cruise, the, the, the typical aviator, you know, spills asks, his coffee all over. Himself, asks for right, a flyby, right. and then the guy says negative, Ghost Rider. The pattern is full, and he, you know, as, as as a good aviator does, he ignores it and then continues on there, <laughs> and then he spills the coffee on the air boss. Right. <laughs> so yeah. That was yes. me. I was the guy getting my coffee spilled on right. my, my shirt.
1: Are there? This might relate to the moment you want to bring up, but were there moments you remember when starkly in your memory when things weren't going right? that you were under all that pressure? Oh, no question about it. Um, there's
2: many stories about that. No question about it, um, you know. So so when I used to fly airplanes, um, I'd say I had a malfunction or a, you know, probably about once every 10 flights. Okay. And I had a no kidding emergency, probably every, you know, 30, 40 flights or so. Um, that was on average for any aviator. But when you're working in the tower of an aircraft carrier, Pretty much once an hour, <laughs> you're dealing with something. <laughs> but there were a couple that were um, more memorable than others. There was a poor kid one night who just couldn't figure out how to get his plane on board the flight deck. And um, you, know, we, you know, fortunately, one of the one of my jobs as well as the as the mini boss air boss was to make sure that we had gas airborne so that if a pilot was having trouble, you know, we can get him more gas. And this guy must have gone around 15, 20 times um and we were trying to get him gas but the specific moment though that, that that made me panic was when we were trying to launch another tanker to help him out the catapults broke oh and it was god. the catapult that's on the flight deck in the landing area so now i have a broke catapult in the landing area and a plane that's about to run out of gas oh um, my god and so yeah that was a little bit of a moment of panic but but fortunately, you know, all of the professionals who were working were able to to figure out what was wrong with the catapult, and um, and, and get the, get the plane you know airborne, clear the landing area, and, and you know and eventually probably I want to say after two hours of this kid trying to land, we I think we finally got him on board.
1: The discipline on a ship like that, in order to make it run as smoothly as it does, and then to recover and react and adapt when it's not running smoothly, which is probably 80% of the time, or maybe even more, like, in such a complicated operation, things are gonna go wrong constantly, you know, or be different every day, every single time you go out. Um, how, does, how, does that, how does that relate to maybe discipline at an institution like this in the classroom? It's not, you know, we're not, we're not losing lives here, necessarily, or we're not launching aircraft, you know, people aren't so compact. In fact, right now we have to spread out. Right? <laughs> but how do you how do you relate that experience to what you did here?
2: So, so there are some relations, no question about it. Um, you know, you know, I think the the comparison I would make. So, on an aircraft carrier, you have two commands. You have the the ship's company under one command of an 06, who's the captain of the ship, and then you have the air wing, who um, is under another 06, Who who you know? And there's about you know. Three thousand people on the ship and two thousand people in the air wing, and they have to work together. So, um, you know, in that tight space. In that tight space, (laughs) and and, and, you know, and the ship's company provides a service, if you will, to the air wing, and I, I think I'd relate that to NPS as far as you know. We have a staff and faculty who who provide the infrastructure of the institution of NPS, so that when the customer, you know, you the student comes here, you know, our job is to make things. You know, as as streamlined as possible, so that you aren't seeing the you know the, the circus music behind the scenes going on to make it look easy. And um, and the, the direct- although
1: sometimes students feel better when they hear some of that <laughs> circus music. It's good to know that it's going on because it's reassuring that the band is playing. You know, if we can kind of hear the band through the walls, oh, the band is playing. They're they're handling it. I can go on and about when we don't hear the circus music we 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 wonder if 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 uh things are happening what what is happening is up there is somebody gonna fix this <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> no um but but that's just it is on an aircraft carrier no question about it um you know you watch the the videos of a plane getting catapulted off the front of the aircraft carrier and another video of a plane landing and you know, and we've gotten to the point where we've made it look easy, but but no kidding, um, it's 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 kind of cliche. But it takes two thousand people doing exactly, you know, not kind of what they're supposed to do, but the two thousand people doing exactly what they're supposed to do, so that the shooter can push that button to launch the aircraft. It's and,
1: probably one of the most dangerous places to work in the navy. Yeah,
2: I'd say, but 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 you know, for you know
1: to a credit to the to the navy and
2: other services to do similar stuff you know we have the proper protocols in place so that you know for the most part you know people don't get hurt that's that's the good news it happens sometimes but at nps you know the, i i would i would i would argue that very similarly there are you know so we just launched a new quarter right and we got i don't know how we did it but we got roughly 520 new students here and said goodbye to about 450 other ones And um, for the most part, I don't know how we did it either. I don't know how we did it, but we did it. And and it's the same thing. It's there's you know there's you know whatever a thousand people at NPS who are each doing individual jobs, who collectively together, you know make it so that you as the student can you know sit in the classroom on day one, ready to learn and focus you know on your
1: education. It's astounding. I'm astounded. (laughs) I really am. Yeah, I'm not being facetious. You know,
2: the registrar, admissions, student services, the ed techs, the academic associates, um, you know, the the personnel offices, the your analysis coordinators,
1: and oh yeah, all <laughs> of our favorite our favorite parts. <laughs> what advice might you give to your 23 year old self? And you could consider that some of the students we have here today are fresh out of college experiences ensigns, lieutenants. Uh, uh, you know, Air Force lieutenants, if you will. Um, what, what advice would you give to that twenty-three-year-old? Well, the first thing that jumps out is, is, is,
2: is um, open your ears, you know, before you open your mouth. <laughs> and we've we've told a couple of stories about that one already. Um, Where are you from? Sorry. So I, I grew up in Santee, California, oh, wait, which San is y- a, a suburb of San Diego. All right.
1: So I was going to say, like, open your ears. Like,
2: <laughs> you know, open your ears before your mouth. I think is some very good advice. Um, but but I think what we touched on before, I think I think would be more um, more appropriate as as better advice to to somebody young, and that's um you know don't be afraid to, to say yes, and, and 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 get out of your comfort zone, um, because just because you're afraid of the unknown. Um, because you know the unknown is, is what makes you, and that's what that's where you get to test yourself, and that's what you get to see what you're made of, and in the end of it, it's actually amazing what you can accomplish and, and what you what you get to be you know be able to do. Um, you know I could have you know instead of being you know an exchange officer of the French Navy, you know I could have been very comfortable and been a been an I flew F-18, so I could have been an F-18 instructor, and I knew exactly what that tour would have been like. And, and how it worked. And and frankly, it might've been better for my career. Um, but by, but by, by trying something different and getting out of my comfort zone, you know, I, th- I think it's made me the person I am today. And I, and, and there's, I can tell you 20 other stories don't regret that, where, where I, where I, I, I tried something different and, um and said, yes, instead of saying no. And I, I'd say that it's made all the difference
1: PR. Thank you. <laughs> Let's crack another, huh? No. All right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> It is only ten a.m. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, as we're sitting back down with you and cracked open another beer that we're now one third into, um, you had a story you wanted to tell about being mini boss. Why don't you tell us about that?
2: Well, yeah. So, um, you know, being the mini boss of, of an aircraft carrier, you know, my position is up on the tenth tenth floor above the flight deck, and it's it's got a pretty pretty fantastic view for obvious reasons. Um, and, um, you know, kind of similar to some of the, the views I remember as a kid, I remember, you know, one particular day, kind of on the fourth month of a seven-month cruise, when, um, you know, everybody was feeling very comfortable, everything was working very, you know, everybody was working together very smoothly. And, um, you know, there was um, the, the, the aircraft carrier captain would always set the carrier up at the sunset so that he could see the sunset. And, you know, that was good for me because I got the same view he got just one floor above him.
1: What power? <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, like uh, the, the world is yours when you get to do that, right? Yeah,
2: there, there is something to that um, of out, out, out in, um, you know, kind of unregulated waters. And um, so anyway, that night um, I was just remember it was very calm. Luckily, everything was going very well and um you know we had a a little ipod in the in the tower and we put on pink floyd um the wall and we were listening to the wall in between cycles of of landings and recoverings and we had about a half hour 40 minutes and i just remember sitting there just kind of staring out into the water and it was a perfectly clear night um you know the sun was like i said right there out in front of me and um you know and it just was one of the most beautiful serene you know, settings I've ever, I've ever, I've
1: ever remembered. What a wonderfully peaceful moment that must have just filled you up. And, uh, and as you, as you said, you were listening to the wall. Oh man.
2: No, it was good. It was, it was good. I got to, you know, all the stresses, you know, were, 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 were able to be put aside for a little bit and just got to appreciate where I was at. And, and again, in the, in the words of, 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 of Roger Waters, I got, I, I got
1: to be comfortably numb. Oh gosh! <laughs> well, and that sunset moment really brings you back to your childhood moments of seeing the sunrise as a paper boy. But what did you do after your paper boy? You went. You were in Navy ROTC in college. That's right. So I was Naval ROTC in college, um, and the Navy was gracious enough
2: to, to pay for my tuition, but they didn't give me any spending money. And, you know, man. Ah, you needed to fill those pockets. I did. So I you're did. You're making that 3.0. The beer, the beer bottles weren't, weren't being filled you know, with my good looks. <laughs> um, so I was very fortunate. Um, to this day, I, I, I always like to tell people that I've had three jobs. You know, I've been in the Navy for 27 years. I was a paper boy for three years, and in, in between those two, I worked at a restaurant called the Sizzler for for I the think Sizzler. seven seven years. That
1: doesn't even sound like a real restaurant name. I think you're making this up. That is totally out of a movie. But they serve salads, right? The Sizzler. The I Sizzler's
2: god, the Sizzler's motto was steak, seafood, salad, Sizzler. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and um, no, it was you it knocked was, the microphone
1: or the headphones off of my head with that no,
2: one. No, it was great. Um, and I, um, you know, upon reflection, kind of looking back on my time at the Sizzler, I think it really, you know, it wasn't planned, but it was very fortunate that I had that time there. Um, because it was there that I learned that, that, you know, if I want to do well, I need to make sure the people around me are, are happy and satisfied and I'm meeting their needs, you know, and if somebody was to ask me, you know, how I lead as a military officer, I, I would, I, I, you know, I strongly proclaim that I, that I, that I, that I unconsciously, you know, t- kind of use the servant leadership style, you know, I never, just from
1: s- your experience.
2: Well, I think that's what, I think that's what I was formed to be. And I didn't even realize it. Um, you know, isn't and it wasn't on purpose, right? You know, it was just, I learned very quickly that, you know, when I said no, to a task that was given to me you know because bu- I was a busboy first and a dishwasher you know and I had to do the you know the jobs that nobody else wanted to do you know when a drink was spilled you know when, um, when a customer needed extra napkins or or when you know a little kid unfortunately missed the toilet in the bathroom guess who got called to clean it up <laughs> of course and um, you know and the, and the more I said yes you know I started realizing very quickly the more that the waiters and waitresses that I was helping tipped me at the end of the night. Okay. So so, their
1: tips would kind of partially flow into your pocket as well. uh, Remember that when you're out eating, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) that your servers are also taking care of their bussers. But I think
2: that translates though, right? Into, um, you know, the qualities of a good, you know, whether it's a, whether it's a soldier, sailor, airman, or officer, you know, for those of us that when asked to do something and say no, You quickly build up a reputation of somebody that, you know, maybe doesn't like to take on extra duties. Well, I
1: wanted to ask you a little bit about what servant leadership means to you, but then you bring up a salient point of instead of saying no, where you have room to say yes.
2: That's right. Um, You know, because because by saying yes, you you really never know what you're going to get. You know, there's so many opportunities that you get by saying yes. You know, and again, that applies to today's circumstances, I think. You know, the, the dean of students I know, he's very fond of saying, um, you know, instead of focusing on what we can't do, let's let's instead focus on what we can do. Oh, that's um, right.
1: Of course. Yeah. Because, I mean, we're in this we're in this world of no. So let's find out where the yeses are. That's sure. And I, I think that applies to, you know, your regular life as well. Even like, you know, if you say no to your friends all the time, you're going to have less friends. But if you say yes where you can and you spend time with people in your life. And that can apply to your job as well. And when you apply, you know, your abilities and passions and capabilities to friendships or job or anything and your passion and you bring that to it, yes, it gets easier over time too, I think.
2: I think it does. And, um, and you know, in applying that to leadership, you know, I heard it from a I – I worked at StratCom as an 04 and I an no 06 was my boss. And one of his famous phrases to us was, how do we get to yes, Paul? Let's find a way to get to yes. You know, you know that there may not be you know the the exact answer to the original question, but you know through leadership and through you know communication, um, you know it, 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 there's so many possibilities out there. And um, yeah, I'll never forget that.
1: So many of those uh, formative experiences you had when you were young, and as a teenager, and then you know in college as well, um, have those helped you cope with the current environment?
2: Well, I think they have. Um, so after I was a busboy, um, fortunately, when I got into college and turned 18, I got to be a server. And um, and to to be a server um, at a restaurant, I think you have to be able to recognize what the customer is looking for in their experience. And that's different for, for all people. Um and you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes and kind of try and understand that. And I think that, you know, I think that experience taught me empathy.
1: I was just going to say, you've just defined empathy and emotional intelligence. I, I think so.
2: Um, um, and, you know, kind of, and so today, I mean, again, what we, like we talked about earlier, is I, I really don't know what everybody else is going through. But, you know, if I can consciously take a step back and try and ask myself or ask somebody I'm dealing with – you know, what's, what, what's what's your life like? What are, what are you dealing with? I think that, you know, starts to communication and starts to trying to find a way to get to yes for whatever the issue may be.
1: I think it's important, too, that, to recognize that empathy and emotional intelligence is a skill that can be practiced, just like your regular intelligence academically. If you don't practice it, it kind of goes to waste. You know, I find that with my Russian language skills. Don't tell my DLI teachers, please. But if you practice that over time and you continue to put that into work, you just, you, you kind of have to hone those skills. You can't, it's not a one-time thing and you're good at it forever. No,
2: no. And some of us are luckier than others. Some of us are parents in our, in our childhood. We we're taught that in our households, but you know, in others that maybe they aren't. But, but I really think that, you know, my time working at the Sizzler, I really learned empathy, emotional intelligence and it helped me. But, um, but a, a story I'd love to tell you though. I'll, I'll never forget this. And, um, you know, this is kind of one of the, you know my life's lessons that that I've come 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 to realize how important it is. It happened to me actually when I was 40 years old. Um, you're I was,
1: you're over 40.
2: I I'm just barely over 40. Oh right now. goodness. I'm just barely over 40, but but 10 years ago, you know, do the math. <laughs> <laughs> 10 years ago, I was a baseball coach um, in Rhode Island of my son's little league team, and it was a bunch of eight and nine year olds. And one day, I'm sitting there on the bench, and I'm just kind of you know just listening to what the kids are saying. And um, they're starting to make fun of this one kid because there was this kid, you know, just who didn't have very good emotional intelligence and didn't, didn't fit in very well, was kind of awkward, kind of acted out, and didn't react very well to others. And one of the kids said, Man, what's that guy's problem? Why is he always, why is he always kind of, you know, why is he always making such a big deal of things? And then I'll never forget it, what, the, what one of the other boys said, and it was a nine year old boy, mind you. And the other nine, the nine-year-old boy says, um, he says, well, my dad tells me that I should never judge other people because I don't know what happens inside their house. Nine? A nine-year-old boy said that. And it it probably didn't strike me at the time, but, but I've never forgotten that moment. And, um, what he was describing was empathy, right? He was trying to, you don't, you don't. Exactly. You you, don't know that
1: word at nine years old, but.
2: you, You don't know what other people are going through. You know, you don't know. You know what struggles they're facing what challenges they're going through what 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 successes they're going through you know you know how they're you know what what they're dealing with and and if you assume that you know what they're going through you know i think that conversation is over before it starts but if you actually you know try and understand what that person's going through listen to what they say you know um have a conversation mostly where you listen rather than talk
1: I think that's a critical skill of a leader. You know, we talked about some resiliency here and what you do as a program officer at NPS for the National Security Affairs Department. What's the dumbest thing you've done professionally and how did it turn out?
2: Well, I've done a lot of dumb things. There's no question about it. I could probably have a top 10 list and we could fill up a half an hour just of this podcast. You know, Which just is talking what about happens. Those stories um, but one that I think is very salient in today's environment, um, I think is one that I'll share with you. So, so, um, I flew F-18s and, um, for better or for worse, our kind of best practice was that after we landed the, the planes, we would go right to the fueling pits and we'd fuel the planes while the engines were still running.
1: Okay. <laughs> exactly exactly that's right that's uh we decided
2: that was best practice well so anyway you could as you can imagine that doesn't just happen in a split second so it takes are you about, staying on board i'm sitting in the cockpit in the they're called the fuel pits and there's you know some poor young e3 puts a hose into my plane and we wait about 25 minutes with the engines running until it fuels up the plane are you doing this on the carrier sometimes yes oh my God. I'm, I'm more t- the, the story i'm talking about was actually back at the field okay back at the field at NAS Lemoore, and um, I was with uh, another, I was a Lieutenant, so in an 03, and, um, and I was with another Lieutenant. We had just done a mission together, and so, so naturally, we, we need to fill that time up with, 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 with,
1: with entertaining each other. Oh, okay, I see where this is going, please.
2: So, so we're talking to each other on, on, a, on a secure channel, and we're, we're just having fun, and, and one thing leads to another, and we start um, basically bad-mouthing um one of our one of our sister' squadrons in the in the air wing. Um, they were going through some tough times and um, their their planes were you know were not working so well and, and actually we were loaning them some of our planes because our maintenance officer was was doing some very good work. Um, one thing led to another, and basically each of us were were calling that squadron you know, clowns and buffoons and you know what, what's their problem? And you know, man, why can't they just be like us? And what we didn't know was one of their pilots flying one of our jets happened to stumble across (laughs) our channel, listened to our whole conversation, (laughs) and pushed the relay switch, relayed our whole conversation to their ready room, and their whole squadron got to hear us basically bad-mouthing them, including their commanding officer. So the next thing you know, after, you know, the 20, 30 minutes of sitting in the rounds, hot pit. The next
1: three rounds were on you. Well,
2: so, so, you know, we had to do the walk of shame over to their squadron spaces um, and stand at attention and, and, and get a nice talking to from their commanding officer about, um, about our words. Sure. <laughs> and, but I, I think uh. there's a lesson, though, to be had for listeners here. Um, you know, especially in today's environment, whether it's talking— or I think more importantly, writing electronically, you know, I, th- I think, you know, I don't wanna say that, you know, we shouldn't express ourselves, but you just, you need to make sure when you think something and then you say something or you write something, you know, what is your mom gonna think about
1: it, right? <laughs> well, and always remember that your words are interpreted differently in writing and emotion doesn't translate in an email. And usually the receiver translates it in the negative sense if there is a an emotional translation to be made, uh, I think I think that's exactly right. Um, because I'm, I'm, if I remember right, that, that commander,
2: you know, who was the commander of that squadron, is now a two or three star admiral. So you know, obviously he wasn't a bad a bad commanding officer. So you're he, not getting promoted ever again. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> not because of that story. Yeah, that, that that story limited. No, no, just. But that was a that was a formative moment I think for me, where I made a mistake, but but I
1: learned a valuable lesson. So you don't regret it? No, maybe you would. Have, looking back, maybe you wouldn't have uh, done what you did. It sounds like. I don't know. It's oh, okay.
2: What do they say? If you don't have something nice to say, you know, don't say it, right? Right. Yeah.
1: So I mean, we can all. Learn <laughs> if you don't that. have something
2: nice to tweet, don't tweet it. <laughs> don't.
1: <yeah. laughs> Whoa! We might cut that. <laughs> um, what? <laughs> um, what? Uh, what can other professions learn from yours? I mean, I know you learned a lot from being a paperboy or a server, but what do you think a paperboy or a server could learn from you and what you do now? Is that too deep?
2: Well, I haven't thought about that too much, but just a couple things jumping out at me. What I do now, I believe, um, I mean, what's my end product? I think my end product is to create people who think about what they do. You know, I don't, I don't know what our mission statement is off the top of my head, but, but I would say that the Naval Postgraduate School, especially in the National Security Affairs Department, is we create critical and strategic, you know, analysts. Um, I'm not sure if that would apply to a paperboy necessarily, but I think... Perhaps know, not. I think that, you know, in general, I think it's very good to learn and to take some time to think because the more you learn and the more you think you know the better you sound
1: when you speak and you write well so maybe that paper boy um like you did when you were younger can learn to reflect in the quiet and to take those moments that you get to think and to consider life even as young as it might be at 12 years old starting a paper route (laughs) uh and 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 learn to reflect on yourself and carry that forward through life. Maybe a paper boy could learn that from yeah, what you're talking no, about.
2: No, I, 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 I agree. Um, I agree. But, but I also think though, that so many times in life, you know, you think you have things figured out and you're comfortable. Um, but, but if you have an attitude of not being able to, you know, admit you're wrong and that you don't know everything, that's when I think, you know, that moment comes that you realize That there's so much more out there, whether it's, whether it's actual knowledge or whether it's actually somebody else's opinions, somebody else's viewpoints, somebody else's feelings, you know, you know, just so many times we think we, you know, we we fall into the, 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 we fall into the bad habit of thinking we know everything.
1: Certainly. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking the time out of your day and joining me on the Trident Room podcast. Um, unfortunately today we didn't make it into the Trident room proper. Um, but, uh, that's going to be a possibility in the future. I hope we get to open up soon. The podcast will continue and will supplement, and we're going to be here to have these interesting conversations. Um, so thank you again, uh, for, for being my guest today and for having these beers with me and having this conversation. You've been extremely open and I'm so appreciative of that. So thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. This episode was recorded on July 10th, 2020. For more information about today's guests and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at tridentroompodcasthost at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash Trident Room podcast. In today's podcast, NPS student Joe Novak sits down and has a drink with oceanographer Mara Orskanen.